and uh, the story that is entitled On the Road to Emmaus. So it's Luke 24, if you've got your Bibles, and from verse 13 through to verse 35. This follows on from resurrection morning. Jesus has appeared and uh, begins with two of his disciples just, uh, just discussing the events of the day. So Luke, Luke's Gospel, 20, chapter 24, verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only only visiting are you only visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? he said. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to find the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, He took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it up, began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while we talked with him on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true! The Lord has risen! He has appeared to Simon! Then the two told them what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Thank you, David. Thank you for that 
Warm welcome and thank you for having me. It's, it's really nice to be, to be here, if slightly nerve-wracking. Um, but, you yeah, know, it is lovely uh, to be with you. This story is in uh, one of the resurrection stories and it's just it's my favourite. And I think the reason it's, it's my favourite is at the heart of it is, is two versions of the same story. Uh, there's actually only one story in the middle of it that Jesus tells about himself, but actually Cleopas and uh, has his own version of that story and I, I think uh, the further I walk along my journey with Jesus the, the more imp- more important I find that actually getting our stories straight uh, it, it is actually it, it's really important that we have our narratives in the right place uh, it's a story about a journey as well these people are uh, walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus we're told that seven miles uh, to help me out with some geography there that's about the distance from Barnet to Warrington um, I know that journey quite well uh, my wife is from Warrington and we lived in Barnet so I've, I've walked that uh, uh, when, when I'm walking from Barnet to Warrington uh, and I'm going to see my um, gorgeous new girlfriend it takes me about two hours when I'm walking back and I'm probably in trouble with my dad for something it takes round about four hours um, and I I, I think uh, I think we all know that, that that our walk depends on our mood quite often. So this seven mile walk, it might have been, uh, but I, I think it was probably going to take these guys quite a while because uh, they're hardly over the moon. Uh, bad things have been happening all around them, and I also think that uh, shoe footwear technology. Uh, in those days didn't actually allow for a speedy walk uh, because they'd be flipping off sandals, that kind of thing. Uh, I, I think that they're kind of limited to quite a slow pace, generally. Um, I, I, as I watched uh, some YouTube clips, you know, I, I don't know if you've seen... I, I quite like the old Bible films, you know, some that, that are slightly, slightly naff. The more naff, the better for me. I, I, just, I just get so much joy from it. Um, I, perhaps I shouldn't, but I do. Um, uh, they all seem to sort of show these guys as being uh, cowards, as if they're walking away from something, as if these guys go, right, oh, goodness, let's get out of Jerusalem. Does that make sense? I don't know if you've seen any of these, these things. But I, and actually, in a few of the commentaries I read, they seem to be saying, oh, these guys are escaping. I think that's slightly unfair. Perhaps they are escaping. But really, if, you, if we think about the time when uh, these guys are operating, they've probably said to their wives... We're going into Jerusalem for Passover and I will be back on the first day of the week. And we know that there's a dinner ready for them when they get back. And I have to say, I'm, you know, I'm an intelligent enough man to know that if a dinner is going to be prepared for me and there's a certain time that it's going to be there, I'm going to turn up on time. So I, I think uh, these guys get a bit of a hard rap about that, the kind of wussing out kind of uh, narrative. I, I think perhaps, maybe, because they didn't have a mobile phone, they couldn't exactly text and say, oh, by the way, Jesus is dead now. We think we should probably stick around for a little while. Uh, they don't get that opportunity. They're going to have to go home. Otherwise, people are going to worry about them. Have they been robbed on the road? Are they dead? They just don't know. Uh, so these guys are walking home. And as they walk, they talk. They discuss what has this been all about. These guys have been following around a rabbi, a teacher, someone who they had great hopes in for uh, perhaps all three of his years in ministry now. They've been following around Jesus. What was the point? At at this moment in time, for these guys, 
it will have felt like they had wasted their time. Jesus had talked so much about the coming kingdom. Where is that kingdom? Now he is dead. Where is the kingdom of God? Now Jesus' body has been stolen. Round and round questions go in their head. The entire understanding of who Jesus was and in turn who they were as his following is crumbling for them. It is crumbling under the mounting reality of Jesus' tragic end. Jesus is dead. The world is as cruel as it ever was. It is still unfair. The Romans are still in control of Jerusalem. The temple is still corrupt and led by corrupt familial dynasties. Their religion has not been purified. And his friends, these two guys, they were fools to ever believe that they or Jesus could make a difference. As the two walk along, they squabble over a minor detail of the past week and its negative impact. They're interrupted by a stranger. What are you discussing as you walk along? A stranger who couldn't help but over here. A stranger who seems to be thirsty for information. Oh, yes. A distraction from the bleak reality that the pair are walking in. He doesn't seem to know about all that went on. He hasn't heard the word on the streets of Jerusalem. He must be the only guy who doesn't know about Jesus of Nazareth. The only guy in and around Jerusalem at that time anyway. Here is an opportunity, a golden opportunity, to go over the facts of the past few days again. The facts of this morning. A rundown. Another chance to get the story straight. Cleopas grabs the opportunity with both hands. Now, we we, we get the little secret bit there. It's quite good. Uh, We get to know that the stranger is Jesus. But whether because of some miraculous intervention, uh, a hood, uh, or just because they really, really don't expect to see Jesus alive walking on the road with them, they don't know who he is. They don't don't recognise him. And this leads to an experience that I imagine for Jesus is quite strange perhaps even quite comical. Someone else is going to explain to him what happened to him, thinking he doesn't know. It's a rich moment. It's the kind of thing that you would see in a French farce, you know, where a wife is confessing to the husband about something that's gone on and she, he doesn't, she doesn't know that he's the husband. You know, if the, if the subject matter was slightly different, we'd, we'd all be laughing at it. So what is the story that Cleopas tells about Jesus? Wait, he tells a story of a godly man. He calls him a prophet. Uh, and, and what's interesting is he doesn't use the title of the Messiah because that title seems to no longer apply now he's dead. It seems like a silly thing that they were thinking about, you know, but it's been proven wrong now. 
He is a man who carried the hopes of those who followed him, the hopes that he might save Israel from colonial rule and corrupt internal powers, that he might herald a return to a pure religion because it's all wrapped up in this in this phrase, because they hoped he would be the one to redeem Israel. That's what that means. It is a story of how those hopes were dashed when the corrupt internal powers handed him over to the colonial powers to be put to death, to be crucified, to be nailed to a cross. His recollections include the events of that morning, the third day. Third day when the Jews at that time believed was when the soul left the body. It may have also been special to them because they may have been thinking about what Jesus had said to them before, going, no, it's the third day, still not seen him. Uh, But it's probably, I I would suggest, thinking of that Jewish belief of when the soul leaves the body. A day when perhaps they thought all might be redeemed, but instead, what has happened this morning? Jesus' tomb has been desecrated, his body is missing The women have all gone crazy. They're telling of angels. They're saying that Jesus is alive. The men found that Jesus' body was missing, but absolutely no proof that Jesus is living. They didn't find that out. And Jesus is referred to exclusively in the past tense throughout the story. He was, he was. But Jesus is walking alongside listening. Allowing Cleopas to give his version of Jesus' own story. I wonder, as we walk along our roads of life, the story that Jesus has to hear us telling ourselves about him. How foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe, Jesus says to Cleopas, having heard his version of his own story. He doesn't just say that, though. He offers the antidote. How foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? Jesus then tells his own story. The one written throughout the history of the people of Israel. His story found through Moses and the prophets, a way of just saying, actually, it's in all of it. It's from the beginning to the end of the Old Testament. And don't you just wish that they'd written down what he said? Ah! (laughs) No one would ever have to preach ever again. We'd just go, oh no, read that bit in Luke. Uh, Yeah, yeah, no, no, that's everything. (laughs) We don't know which scriptures Jesus went to, which is heartbreaking. Because clearly it would be the single greatest Bible study the world has ever seen. The resurrected son of God talking to his followers, talking them through the references to him throughout the Old Testament. The resurrected son of God explaining the foretelling of his own resurrection, whilst those who he is with don't even realise that he is resurrected. I mean, the fact that this ever happened makes what I'm about to do really, really, really nerve wracking. I'm going to have to dare to suggest what Jesus might have said to perfectly explain himself, his suffering, his death and his resurrection and all that that might mean for those who wish to follow him. And not only that, I have to utilise the entirety of the Old Testament 
That's enough to make you sick, isn't it? So, look, I, I think the first thing I've got to say is I can't do that. <laughs> um, but what I can do is I, I, can, I can point to three examples from three different kinds of scripture. So we're going to look at something prophetic, we're going to look at something poetic, and we're going to look at something historic, which seems to make sense in the way that it says there that he went through Moses and the prophets. So prophetic, perhaps he would have spoken of Isaiah 53. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was punished. I remind you of that bit before. For he was cut off from the land of the living. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. Perhaps he went there. I don't know. That's one option, right? And there's plenty of other stuff you can find, whether it's in Daniel or um, Zechariah, or th- th- where he could have found these in the prophetic voices. Poetic. Perhaps he would have gone to Psalm 22, you know, the one that he drew the crowd's attention to at the moment he was being crucified. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which starts with the suffering of a faithful servant and ends with the transformation of the world where God is perfectly praised and the proclamation at the end of it is, he has done it. Maybe he went there. Or historic. He could have gone down a different route entirely. He could have looked at stories like we have been this morning. He could have looked at the Exodus story that shows the eternal pattern of God's salvation, which Jesus brings to its earth-shattering conclusion with his acts on the cross and in his resurrection. In Exodus, God saves his people from slavery in Egypt. And he does so before they are living in the way that God has intended for them. Before they were doing anything to please God, as a gift of grace, he takes them out of slavery. They pass through the waters of the Red Sea And then once they are saved, he shows them the way to live in response to this great gift of grace through his law. Perhaps he utilised the story of the people of Israel to demonstrate God's pattern of salvation. He could have utilised any of these. But my point is, you can go anywhere and he could have utilised any of it. As the story of scripture is the story of the redemption of man through God's grace. And that story reaches its thundering climax in the person of Christ. Everything that's written before it points to it and everything that's written after it echoes back from it. The need that day, though, was to demonstrate that all that Jesus endured through Holy Week needed to happen. And that Jesus, who it is appropriate to understand as the Christ, the Messiah, would rise again. The now three companions arrive at the village of Emmaus. Jesus continues as the others turn off. Come for tea, they say. They don't really. They say, uh, come and stay with us. It's getting dark. But I I like the idea of them just going, hey, do you want to come around my house for tea? Um, 
uh, like you would to your friends when you've been playing football. Um, I never played football. I don't know why I said that. So, <laughs> when, you've been, when you've been staging musical theatre numbers. Um, <laughs> come to my for tea. <laughs> Jesus says yes. Shut up, Sam. Uh, we don't get the conversation. The, bit, the conversation that's missing that I really miss is the conversation of Cleopas and his wife where he explains that he's bringing two extra guests for tea. <laughs> it's like, you've been away for a week and uh, you're bringing... Oh, no, no, fair enough. I'll stretch it. I'll stretch it, I guess. I'm sure she'd have ended up being gracious in the end when she finds out who it was. Maybe she was gracious from the start. I don't know. Please don't take this as a reflection on Rose. She's wonderful. Very accommodating. <laughs> You'd always be welcome for dinner. Might just be fish fingers while we have our proper one, but you know, you'd be welcome. <clears throat> but the meal is served. And at the table, Jesus reaches forward and he takes the bread. He gives thanks and he breaks it. And in that moment, the scales fall from the followers' eyes. They see Jesus. The pattern of take. Bless, break, is so familiar and so distinctive to Jesus. He does it every time. It is clear that he is with them. What the women said is true. Jesus is alive. He was dead, but now He is alive. And not only that, he is present with them. And not only that, he has explained himself through the Old Testament on the road to Emmaus. Not only that, they have a thousand and one questions and then he disappears. (laughs) Isn't that the way? (laughs) As we walk down the road of life, we can sometimes feel we are alone. That somehow the resurrected Jesus Christ, the Lord, the Master, isn't with us. We might actually remember what it felt like in the past to have him with us. You know, we've seen his power, but for some reason at the minute, we just can't, you know, feel it. On the road to Emmaus, Jesus gives us the antidote. We have to return to his version of his story because all of us all of us are guilty of creating our own versions of Christ and what he is supposed to be to us and to the world around us to those people's lives who we love around us we have our own understanding of what the story of Jesus is for them and for us Cleopas and his friend believed Jesus should have sorted out the Romans. They certainly believed that he shouldn't have died. (laughs) What does Jesus do? He takes them back to his story. He shows them himself through the scriptures. If you can't see Christ, if you feel alone, if you feel disappointed with following Jesus... Perhaps you think Jesus should have healed someone. Perhaps you're carrying that around with you. Perhaps you can't understand why Jesus isn't currently marching into the governments of the world and sorting them out. Perhaps you can't work that one out. That's actually my story of Jesus. That's what he's doing. 
Perhaps it's smaller than that. Perhaps, perhaps you can't work out. I'm, I'm doing everything that God has asked me. I'm, I'm following the law and these kind of things. And I, I'm not seeing the financial reward. I'm not seeing the results in my family's life. These are all popular stories that we tell ourselves about Jesus. These are all popular stories that people will happily tell us about Jesus. And the problem with them is quite often they just lead to us feeling like we're alone on the road. When you feel alone on the road, then you have to return to the story of Christ that we find here in the Bible. Christ who only heals some people. And each one of those healings is a sign of the coming kingdom when everything will be healed. Christ who said, if anyone is to follow me, they need to pick up their cross. That probably didn't have the nice metaphorical ring that we put on it. The cross probably wasn't a difficult child to Jesus. The cross was a cross. When there were crosses all around each town, that meant something quite different. (laughs) Christ who promises an eternity with God in peace, even if now we have to suffer. We have to return to, to that Christ, the one that we find in the Bible. Now that sounds really uncomforting, Sam. Thanks a bunch. So glad you came. But it's not uncomforting, really. Because when we take Jesus on his terms, when we understand his version of the story, we do find him present with us. We see the patterns in our own lives, in other people's lives, in moments, in a small gesture, in the word of one of our sisters or brothers in Christ. And suddenly what we do is we look back at our journey and those times when we thought that we were alone. And who do we see walking on the road next to us? But Jesus, the risen Son of God, our eternal hope the hope of the world, stood next to us, walking alongside us. I have a friend called, um, I'll call him David, at Ashby Baptist Church, and he is exactly the same age as me. He's had a very different life, though. He lives with his mum and dad. Um, He has um, manic depression, and uh, he stopped eating for a period of time which meant that his bowel twisted and he had to have a um, colostomy bag fitted. And when he was in hospital, I started visiting him and I started going, oh, how's it going, you know? And he said, Jesus doesn't love me, so you don't have to come and see me. Well, okay, well, I I disagree with you. I think Jesus does love you. And he's like, well, how can he love me if I'm like this? And you go, I I didn't really have much of an answer. All I had as an answer was, why don't we read about Jesus? 
why don't we read through a gospel? So we read through Mark, and we come up against people that were getting healed left, right, and centre. You read through Mark, it's like healing, 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 healing. I'm going to myself, oh, man, why didn't they tell me about this at college? And, um, but he starts to see the pattern of some people were healed, some people weren't healed. And as he reads the story of Jesus Christ, as he stops telling himself the folk stories that he has built around him from a thousand Sunday schools, he, 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 he suddenly starts to see Jesus and he starts to pray again. And last week I met with him and he told me, I've got great news. I thought, yes, oh, his operations come through. You know, they're going to reverse the, the bag. It wasn't that. He said, I've been praying for my sister for three months and uh, she's... She's, uh, she's actually got a house on the housing list. I thought, wow, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. He was saying, isn't God good? Isn't Jesus incredible? I can't believe that Jesus has done this. This is wonderful. And then at the end of the conversation, he told me that his operation had been put back by six months because of the NHS issues. And this young man had told me at the beginning of this time, Jesus doesn't love me because good things don't happen to me. Do you know what? Bad things continued to happen to Graham, and they're probably going to continue to happen to him. <laughs> There's not, I, I can't, no one is going to wave a magic wand and make this 29-year-old who's suffering from uh, this depression and uh, still living with his parents can't work out a way forward. You know, no one, that's not going to happen. But my goodness, he can now see Jesus Christ next to him on the road. And my goodness, he can see the patterns of God's salvation in his life and the answers to prayer in his life. And that is wonderful. And I think that that should be an inspiration to us all in that going, actually, we've just got to acquaint ourselves with the story. We have to read about the Jesus that we find in the gospel. And then we will find him in our lives. We can't do it the other way around. It doesn't work. And we will end up disappointed. We will end up finding ourselves alone, finding ourselves out in the middle of the road going, where are you? When in fact he's right next to us, it's just we don't know how to look for him because we're looking for the wrong person. Maybe this morning you've never considered yourself as walking the road with Jesus. Maybe this morning you feel like you're not walking with Jesus. Here's the, here's the most comforting news, the best bit. He is next to you. He was next to them on the road the whole way. And he's next to you now. And all, all he wants is for you to see him as he is. All he wants for you to reach out your hand and take his. And to allow him to make you feel like you're home and take you home one day. That's all he wants. He wants you to recognise him. And he wants you to do three things. He wants you to say thank you. He wants you to say sorry. And he wants you to ask for help. Really simple things. Because when you recognise Jesus and what he's done for you, the natural thing to do is say thank you. You recognise your whole life as, an, as a gift of grace. And what Jesus has done for you as a gift of grace, you say thank you. And then you realise that your life doesn't live up to what this guy has done for you doesn't live up to almighty God coming down to earth and dying for you. So you say, sorry, I'm sorry for the things that I do. I'm sorry for the times when I've not lived up to the gift that you have given to me. And then you realise that actually to manage this life, 
to manage the pain that I was talking about, the upset, the fact that bad things are still going to happen, you have to ask for help. And you have to say, look, walk next to me, man. Can I hold your hand? And and you know what? When you do those things, he'll do it. And you get to walk with him into eternity. And you get to start spotting those patterns of Jesus throughout all of our lives. And you get to realise that your creator, the one who put you together, is walking with you hand in hand to take you home, to live with him in eternity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for his death on the cross. We thank you for his life and his teachings. We thank you for his resurrection and all that that means for us. Lord, we are sorry for the times that our lives don't live up to that great gift of grace. And we ask that you would help us. Help us to walk in step with you down the road of life. Help us to spot your patterns in our lives and in the lives of others. And help us to be looking for the Jesus Christ that we find in the gospel who is never to disappoint. And stop looking for the Jesus Christ that we have built for ourselves. We ask that in his precious name. Amen.